I, I don't think we had to deal with a lot of maybe some issues that that are maybe more common in same-sex relationships because of we both have very loving, very supportive families. But I think we also I think knew from the get-go like we we're I think willing to uh, look at relationships and friends and family on a on a spectrum that doesn't necessarily like like if someone's a really problematic person, we just don't want you to be there. And I think we kind of both have decided that that's like an okay way to function. And if that's a family member, that's fine. If that's like, you know, like a friend who's becoming increasingly, you know, it's not necessarily like excommunicating them, but like, I think we just knew, you know, when that had to be like, not a part of our daily lives. And I think people kind of allowed that to happen, even if it was someone that like, I guess, conventionally you would think like, that's someone who's supposed to be there. Right. Kind of like the freedom of relationships. If somebody's not making you better then why why keep them in your close circle sure and that, that's something that i guess being in a same-sex relationship maybe makes a little bit easier perhaps just because you're not confined by convention anymore now I, you know i think that said matt and i are actually a pretty traditional couple as far as you know most of those rules go right but you know we i, I think it's it's helped us to to sort of wade through some of the obstacles that might be impediments for other other people you know hello and hola friends welcome to the medicine marriage and money podcast the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together in this podcast you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome, bienvenidos. Before we get into the show, here's a quick message from MR Insurance, a small business that helps physicians with their disability insurance needs. Michael L. Relvas is a CFP professional and insurance agent committed to helping physicians nationwide with their term life and disability insurance needs. He provides an objective, transparent, and education-focused process that aims to help physicians make prudent decisions and avoid overcomplicating things. He exclusively offers own occupation disability insurance policies for residents, fellows, and attending physicians. We really like Michael and know he's got your best interest at heart when it comes to disability insurance. We know he'd be happy to help you with whatever your needs are. You can find Michael at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash MR insurance or contact him at 800 817 Four five two two. And before I bring doctors Matt and Sanjay onto the show, I just want to let you know about some exciting news that's coming up actually today. Starting today, we're doing a five day unconditional love challenge. So tune in if you're in my Medicine, Marriage, and Money Facebook group or follow me on Instagram at Medicine, Marriage, and Money. I will be explaining how the challenge goes, how you have a chance to win a free scholarship into the Medicine, Marriage, and Money group coaching program, which starts in two short weeks. So tune in to Instagram or my marriage Facebook group and you will find out more information about the five-day unconditional love challenge, which starts today. Please help me welcome our guests on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Drs. Sanjay Soni and Matt Bernbeck. Now, I have known and loved these two gentlemen for at least 11 years now. We all went to radiology residency in the great city of Detroit, I've always adored their passion, not only for each other, but also for life in general. I also had the pleasure of attending their, was it four day Costa Rican destination wedding in 2017, which was epic. Sanjay and Matt are not only brilliant, but they are so crazy fun that you guys are going to love hearing for them. So with that, let's get started. Welcome Matt and Sanjay. Thanks for having us. This is so cool. Yay, we're so glad you're here. So tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, what you're doing now. Okay, so um, I grew up, this is Sanjay. I uh, was born and raised in Michigan and grew up there. Uh, went to college at the University of Michigan, then med school and residency at Wayne State. 
and Matt. Do you want to answer? Yes. So uh, this is now Matt speaking. So uh, it, it's funny to some extent. Like we both grew up in the Greater Detroit area uh, from from different uh, suburbs, and then subsequently went off to various uh, undergraduate training, and then being part of each other's spheres actually in medical school at Wayne State. So back in Michigan again before jumping off to various other places for residency, fellowship, and beyond. Ultimately getting us to Chicago where we've been for the last five-ish years. Yeah, almost six years now. Yeah. Oh, and so what was it like? What was it like being in the same field? I mean, for the last decade at least. Yeah, you know, um, it's been really good actually. So all the things when we decided to go into radiology that we thought would be problems actually ended up being huge pluses. So for example, as you probably remember when we were in training, there was a lot of uncertainty about job market and stuff like that because uh, people were still recovering from the financial crisis in 2008. And then, you know, as you know, in radiology, it's a great job, but one of the reasons it is great is because you can do it for a very long time, actually, it turns out. So, uh, you know, these people weren't retiring, so we were all anxious that there weren't going to be jobs. And it actually turned out that when we got out of fellowship, that people saw Matt and uh, me being in a, Matt and I being in a couple, and me being in a couple as a plus, actually. So um, we fell in with our current practice, and we it's been pretty great. It's been well received. You know, I think we offer more as a tandem than we do apart, and it's it's worked well. Wow. And you feel the same, Matt? No, absolutely. It's been an interesting song and dance as far as like all the different kind of things you have to do to make it to make it work as a couple. Because obviously, as everyone knows, like there's a residency match, which which is a weird process. And then there's a fellowship match, which is a slightly less weird process, but also not like an interview. And then there's actually interviewing for your jobs and uh, kind of all the different ways that we had to kind of present ourselves or learn how to present ourselves to try to make that all work and try to get to the same place. Um, I definitely agree that even though we're both radiologists, we are we have different subspecialties and definitely therefore have different skill sets that that make it work pretty well for us. Oh, right. Yeah. So what are your different subspecialties? So I am trained in cardiac and thoracic imaging. In private practice, I lead our chest section, but functionally in breast imager mostly, actually, which I love. And it, it's honestly uh, become a passion of mine. And if I had it to do over again, I would have gone into a breast fellowship. But yeah, so it, it's just been a kind of an interesting path through private practice. And it's been good, though. And then, so I um, stuck with what I trained to do originally, and um, I'm a pediatric radiologist, even though, yeah, <laughs> even though it seems like the many different places I've worked for don't actually need much pediatric imaging help. So I do end up in practice being primarily a body imager, and especially with my current practice, I don't do tons and tons of pediatric work, though they recruit me all the time to for the broader uh, national practice that we have to either help like templates or give presentations or or other kind of educational things kind of keep me up to speed with all of the pediatric stuff wow so you read a lot of body not just not adult not just pd lots of adults yeah okay well tell us a little bit about the first time you two met and was it love at first sight how did that go So Matt and I met the first day of medical school in anatomy lab, actually. And I can't say that it was necessarily love at first sight, but I certainly noticed Matt. Neither of us were out of the closet at the time. So, you know, I don't think it was anything. It certainly wasn't anything that was pursued, but it was there's definitely like a seed plant. I was like, oh, that guy is really cute. And so um, it it took a couple of years uh, because Matt came out, I think, during second year and I came out during third year. But yeah, it, it it happened in short order after I came out that we found our way to each other. Mm, you know, you're not the first couple who's, you know, met in the anatomy lab. I think it's happened to a few couples that I've talked to before. What is it? If, there's something magical about the anatomy lab. I guess so. I don't know exactly what uh, <laughs> what about anatomy. It's like the first day of school or something, you know, everyone goes to anatomy lab and happens. I'm not sure. <laughs> and then why why did you two fall in love when you eventually, you know, uh, started hanging out. Yeah, Matt, why did we fall in love? <laughs> so, I mean, our class was a uh, was a huge class, um, but also had a not insignificant number of gay physicians, and 
who progressively, like eventually I came out, then eventually Sanjay came out. And um, that whole group of us got became pretty close knit um, and still see each other all the time, which as far as Sanjay and I, I mean, I think there were a lot of things that kind of drew me uh, to him. He's certainly very handsome, very cool, very outgoing, very like fun to be around. He certainly, I, I mean, by having a better sense of style than me, it was just like something that was fascinating. <laughs> So like there are a lot of like initial things that just like oh wow like that's a personality like that's a really like again like someone is just like that was the initial get that like kind of draw you in and you know then we started dating and we uh like you you find you know you learn more about people like as far as like you know someone to I mean I knew he was a physician so I was, I was likely to respect him and and a lot of things about him but like he's you know, he's very fiercely dedicated to his family. He's very, you know, compassionate and loyal to his friends. And I think as you learn more about each other, you also learn how you can grow together and like help each other. And I, I think the kind of love process is really like an evolving kind of thing. And it's something that we kind of, I think, found that in the ways that like we can be very compatible, we can help each other. And in the ways that we want to be better people, we're always, I think, there to support each other. Right. And, and, and so when you're talking about, you know, when two people fit, fit each other, you know, I forgot, I forgot to ask you guys at the very beginning, I always ask my guests, what is your definition of marital interdependence? Or in other words, what makes a successful marriage work? And you kind of briefly just touched a little bit about that, right? The reasons you you fell in love with Sanjay, Matt. And I just kind of, that reminded me of that question, kind of how you were describing your love for him. Do you guys have an answer for that? So for me, I think the first, second, and third thing that make a successful marriage are the having the ability over the course of your relationship to have completely open lines of communication with each other. And to really understand that that's something that you're going to have to work on every single day. And that's okay. So, you know, for example, Matt and I, I think have been lucky. Like most of our relationship and marriage, I would say, has been pretty natural and easy. But every couple fights, right? And I think now 13 or 12 and a half years in, one thing that Matt and I still struggle with is we are still learning how to fight with each other. But, you know, I, I say that, though, because it's one of the things that you have to work on is being able to communicate how you are bothering each other. You have to obviously, you know, be able to communicate, uh, you know, what you love about each other. But, you know, so so the first thing I think making a marriage work is just being able to talk to each other about almost anything. And, you know, there's always going to be something that you need to keep to yourself. But being able to, you know, just kind of keep keep those lines open, I think, is imperative. Yeah. How how do you learn how to fight with your spouse? Because I've been trying, I've been trying to figure that out this past or this past summer when you know the past COVID summer. I really thought about that with me and me and Victor. You know, and everybody's anxieties rose, and I think we did kind of learn a little bit how to fight differently and listen to other people. How have what did you, what has changed with you? And you're saying you're still learning. I know it's a growth process every day. Well, so I can tell you specifically what happened was one one night we were, so we, we actually have traveled a little bit during quarantine, but we found ways to do it responsibly. So like we were in Wyoming this summer seeing uh, Grand Tetons and Yellowstone, right? And we got into a little disagreement about something probably insignificant. I'm not sure I even remember what it was. And at night, was, uh, you know, we, we had this Airbnb and it was these two twin beds. And so we're sleeping head to head to each other and we're both pissed. And you could tell there's just like that tension in the air. And so we finally started talking about like, why were we upset at each other? And we literally went through this whole conversation about this is how you act when you argue with me. And then I said the same thing back to him. And we realized that we were on completely different pages of the way that we talk to and perceive each other when we disagree with one another. And having that really like, just almost, I don't know what the right word for is, but just like structural conversation about how you talk to each other when you're mad was so helpful, I thought. So yeah, I, I think it's just like being able to talk about like, this is what you do when you argue and this is how I perceive it. And this is what we need to work on. 
Yeah, right. You're telling somebody else, okay, what's going on on the outside? They might they might not be able to see it because they're so stuck in their own mind. Yeah, special intentions are high, right. Almost like coaching each other. That's that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, tell me, tell me uh, a little. Look, tell me about a love story you guys have had. You can either tell me about your proposal story, maybe a funny story or romantic story from your wedding. What's like the most romantic story that stands out in your mind i love these questions they're putting man on the spot say things that he doesn't usually talk about <laughs> oh gosh i mean there's so many I, you know so i think um matt and i a lot of what we have in common is our our love to travel actually like we you know because being residents in michigan where the cost of living is actually quite reasonable you were able to figure out ways to really extend your dollar, right? So, you know, all this Delta loyalty that we were able to have, we didn't eat out very much at all. Like we, and Matt went to Costco and we cooked all the time. And, you know, so all these things that you were able to do to really maximize your travel dollar. And we, we really took advantage of that. And so I think, you know, one of the first things I remember was the first trip we took together, which was quite, not coincidentally, probably the place we ended up getting married was in Costa Rica. And I think fall of 2000 or summer of 2008 or 2009. And, you know, we spent, I think, 16 days just driving around this country and got to know each other in this really just kind of close and wonderful way that was really awesome. I just remember, and, and there would be a series of those kinds of trips over the course of our relationship that were really amazing. You know, I just, and so when I proposed, it was actually just after residency ended in fellowship and we were in Hawaii and I had this whole plan to surprise Matt with this sunrise proposal and I thought I was being all slick and uh apparently Matt was not surprised in the least turns out and it might have been but but up until we left yeah then we were on the plane and I like I saw this wedding ring that was very similar to the one that I had actually picked out from I was like oh man what do you think of this ring and he was like, oh, that's weird. Why are you asking me that? And then the morning of the proposal, actually, I had hired a photographer who had this like really far away zoom lens and he was hiding in like these trees to take pictures of the proposal. And so I knew this was happening. So I made Matt shower before he went on the walk in the morning. <laughs> Which is not like a little bit unusual. Like it's not like a, de- a normal demand of him. Like, okay, we're, go- we're going to go out. We're going to see a sunrise. But you should look a little bit better than you do right now. So every there are there are definitely a few clues that like I wasn't expecting it until we got on the plane, and that that was most of them. I think you didn't also didn't realize that you now pa- do a much better job packing for our trips. However, previously you never packed anything at all, but you absolutely demanded that you were going to pack your backpack, which didn't occur to me until later. When you asked me to get something out of your backpack, I may, I, I didn't open the box, but it became imp- very clear what this weekend was going to be about. Oh, so he just traveled with a backpack. No, no. I mean, we had normal luggage too, but like, he's just like, I need my headphones or something very innocuous because he had, and, and obviously doesn't normally think that like, I have to defend this luggage issue. So he, went, he, he sent you on this like treasure hunt, basically. <laughs> spreading breadcrumbs along the way for me to see if I could come up with a... I guess. You know, the same thing happened to me and Victor, except he didn't tell me to go in his backpack. I like was rummaging through all the suitcases once we get on, got on the Disney cruise. I could put them away. I like to make sure all the suitcases are empty so I could put them under the beds and put them away. And there was that, the ring box, you know, was the only thing in the suitcase. Oh my gosh, Victor was so floored. And so, okay, also tell me, so what kind of struggles have you guys had to overcome in medicine or just in life in general as a, first of all, culturally diverse couple, and then also as a same-sex couple? Well, you know, we've been really fortunate and I don't know that everyone's story is like ours, but as far as being a couple and a same-sex couple, I don't think our course could have gone smoother than it has, to be honest. Like, um, I'm lucky that I come from a very liberal family. So me coming out wasn't a problem. And you know, when you meet Matt, you realize he's such a wonderful person. Oh, and he's a doctor. So it sort of checks all the boxes. Um, so in, in that sense, actually, that was not a struggle. Personally, a struggle was just... Uh, 
being in training versus being in attending that it was, and this is something that, you know, to, to trainees that might be listening to this podcast, like what I would say is like, it gets better. It gets so much better, but I, I really had a hard time doing residency to the point where I didn't know that this was what I wanted to do anymore. I didn't know if radiology was what I wanted to do. I didn't know if being a doctor was what I wanted to do. And finally getting through that never ending cycle of training and testing and, you know, answering to someone else and becoming the person that is now, you know, it's your name on the report. It's you that is in charge of the decision-making that you're doing for this patient. You know, it, it really transformed everything for me. So first, so that was my big personal struggle through medicine was, you know, getting to the point where I really enjoyed it and felt fulfilled by it, which I absolutely do feel right now, which I did not before. I'll, I'll certainly parrot a lot of the things that uh, Sanjay said, as well as uh, maybe uh, like we are very, very lucky people. I, I don't think we had to deal with a lot of maybe some issues that, that are maybe more common in same-sex relationships because of we both have very loving, very supportive families. But I think we also, I think, knew from the get-go, like we we're, I think, willing to uh, look at relationships and friends and family on a, on a spectrum that doesn't necessarily like, like if someone's a really problematic person, we just don't want you to be there anymore. And I think we kind of both have decided that that's like an okay way to function. And if that's a family member, that's fine. If that's like, you know, like a friend who's becoming increasingly, you know, it's not necessarily like excommunicating them, but like, I think we just knew, you know, when that had to be like, not a part of our daily lives. And I think we both kind of allow that to happen, even if it was someone that like, I guess, conventionally, you would think like, that's someone who's supposed to be there. Right. Kind of like the freedom of relationships. If somebody's not making you better, then why, why keep them in your close circle? Sure. And that, that's something that I guess being in a same-sex relationship maybe makes a little bit easier perhaps just because you're not confined by convention anymore. Now, I, you know, I think that said, Matt and I are actually a pretty traditional couple as far as, you know, most of those rules go, right? But, you know, we, I, I think it's, it's helped us to, to sort of wade through some of the obstacles that might be impediments for other, other people, you know? What do you mean you're a traditional couple and uh, what does that mean? Well, I mean, you know, we're, we are married, committed, and actually we are going to be having our first child this spring. So, <laughs> yeah. Ah! <laughs> I'll tell you about that. Tell us about it. It is quite a process. And I guess it's another thing that we we're just very lucky that we was something we both knew we wanted to do and finally came to the decision, like, we have to do this. I guess not now, but like, we now have been attending for a while. We now have maybe had a few years of being together and having an income and having fun with that. But now we have the means to go ahead and push forward through it. And so I guess beyond that, it just became a conversation of kind of logistics. And I think we both decided we wanted to go through surrogacy rather than adopt, or at least initially. Uh, it's <laughs> it's a lot of money, first of all. But yeah, how do you do that? Like, what does that look like? No, it, it's, a, it's a long process. It's, it, it, it's a lot of big business too. Like you realize that like, there's just so much money that is not going to your surrogate who i think it should be going to or the egg donor and it's it's a lot of money that's going to these uh these services that are you know facilitating it and obviously they should get paid but you know, that's the one thing i always bring i don't know it's probably not good that i always bring this up first but it's just like it's a lot of money so no but surrogacy is it's it's a lot of hurry up and wait and it, you know so we actually started this time no we started in july of 2019 and we flew out to Oregon and had our embryos made uh, via an egg donor. And then you go through the process of matching with the surrogate. And the you know the surrogacy agencies are very selective. And I think they tell you that like only 3% of the women that apply actually make it through. So then you go through that process of matching and then you meet them and you hopefully decide you like each other. And then you go through all the legalese. And so we were actually probably ready to get started in earnest, probably in the late winter, early spring, but then the country kind of shut down for a few months. So, and that was actually really sad. And quick aside, there were so many women who were at the end of their pre-implantation cycles and then COVID happened and they had to stop 
And so all these women had to just like stop and then start again, which is very sad. But anyway, yeah, so we, we got delayed a little bit, but, you know, we had our transfer date this past July, on um, July 17th, and we're very lucky everything worked out. And Tanessa, our surrogate, lives in Colorado Springs. Uh, she's got awesome family. She's got her husband and two kids are awesome. And she is 22 weeks pregnant and we are ecstatic. Wow, 22 weeks. And you've been, you've been, uh, you started this a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it's a long process. And probably longer for some. I think we mostly got lucky. It, it might have been quicker again had it not been for COVID. Yeah, because, you know, so you, you they want to filter out what are your restrictions, right? So some people are very particular about like the type of person they want carrying their child. And for me and Matt, it was like, well, we want someone that's healthy you know, who doesn't smoke or drink or anything like that. But we were pretty open-minded other than those sorts of things. And so I think it went a little bit quicker for us, but yeah. Oh yeah. I imagine some couples would be like, okay, you can't travel. You have to wear your mask everywhere, that kind of thing. Well, those kinds of negotiations, I guess, weren't even really able to come up. Like we we had found our surrogate before this even happened. So I, I would only imagine what people go through now, though I, I think fortunately we do have someone who we we I, we trust her a lot. We we did have the opportunity to match with someone before our current surrogate, and I don't want to like we didn't we never uh, did the interview process with her, and so I don't want to suggest that you know in any way that she was bad, but like there were just like a couple things that just gave us a little bit of pause, and it, it was enough to just like I don't think we need to necessarily interview, and they kind of say like like everything's just gonna work out, and you're just gonna know like right away, and so. It's, her profile like we were really like we were really very excited to meet her in person like we were, like we knew it still might not go forward but we were already thinking like this like she seems great like on paper then we did a zoom interview with her and like it became just so easily friendly like right away like we're on the same page about so many things like the kind of you know basic kind of stuff as well as just like being able to strike a, a very good rapport sunday so much that he they text all the time Yes, yeah, so that's next what I was going to ask. How often do you have contact with her? Oh, all the time. Yeah, so she and I text a bunch of times a week. We have met her twice in person now. We went out once in July, no, July or August when we were just going to Breckenridge for a week in the summer to hang out there and do some stuff outdoors. We spent some time with her and then we went back for the 20 week ultrasound a few weeks ago and got to meet her. So, yeah, we, you know, text talk and we've been fortunate in spite of all the coronavirus restrictions to meet a couple of times already does she tell you all of her pregnancy symptoms yeah she she actually seems to tolerate slash enjoy being pregnant quite well so i think she had a little bit of nausea her first trimester but she no she's great she will like send us uh she got this little echo heart monitor thing so she'll send us like her heartbeat the baby's heartbeat and she was convinced she saw her kicking and she like took a video of it and we're just kind of like staring like so we, we couldn't tell you but she she says it's gonna happen so. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that is so awesome and is this the same okay so is this the same process like heterosexual couples go through too when they want to have I think mostly. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, kind of, a, a lot of heterosexual couples will still try, to, into try to use their own egg, right, if they can. But in, in the situations where that's not possible, then it's exactly the same. And was the agency totally open? Like, did you have any problems? No, no, agency is great. I mean, yeah, a, a good percentage of the clientele are going to be same sex, you know, couples that want to do this. But yeah, no, Especially with going through surrogacy, yeah, I think. Because some people obviously go through reproductive medicine not necessarily requiring a surrogate. So I think of the, and we were actually told this, and that surrogacy through same-sex couples, and, and I'm not trying to, again, like say any, any bad stories, but obviously for a straight couple who's going through it, it's because they've already had a lot of trials and tribulations. So they're, they're kind of have a, a different maybe mental energy about it. That's, I mean, and it's just like they've been through a lot to, to have to get to that point. So it sounds like surrogates kind of like love working with gay people because like they're they've made a decision on a much happier like wavelength like and they're so eager and ready to move forward and and are just they like we come at it from a different perspective so like it works out again kind of really well that you get a, you get like all the kind of happy feelings. Uh, okay, and then what's the agreement 
after the baby's born. And so the parentage documents that is actually all in process right now, but when our daughter is born on her birth certificate, Matt and I will be the you know legal parents. And so after that, like our relationship with our surrogate Tanessa is what we, you know, and she wanted to be. And again, that ends up being something interesting as kind of the far as the surrogacy interview process goes. It's kind of something that I'm sure some people and perhaps even on the surrogacy side don't say they want to say a lot. And some people probably say they want a lot. I think we were all lucky kind of on the same page that she wanted us to know that this was our baby. We were the ones making decisions. She would be handing us the baby, you know, for us to have as soon as she was born. She would you know, love. And and because we like her as much as we do, we expect there to be communication afterwards and picture sent and this and that. But we kind of understand one from a geography standpoint, we may likely not become best friends afterwards. But the friendship that we have is already a very good one. So like, I I mean, I would be surprised if we didn't find ways to like, you know, occasionally touch up. Right. Okay. That's awesome. And so this is, and then this has all kind of happened during the pandemic. I'm sure you've learned a lot through this. What else? Like, what would you say is some of the biggest things the pandemic has taught you to, not about yourselves or about your marriage? So pandemic has actually been interesting in that you know, we have, and I think a lot of people probably have this, but we have a, a few friends and family members that have gone through a pretty tough time with their relationships being kind of put into this space where they're around each other all the time. And so for me and Matt, that actually has not been so much of an issue because we're in the same practice. So, uh, you know, we're at different hospitals every day, but we already we, see a lot of each other. We already see a lot of each other, so that really wasn't too much of a change. But we were, we were, we both commented to each other how we've been surprised at how there haven't been like high tensions or there hasn't been a lot uh, that's been challenging as far as our, you know, interpersonal relationships with each other because of COVID. It's just been. You know, it, it's just been a different way of hanging out with people. For me, what's been tough is that, you know, Diwali was a couple of weeks ago and we ended up not doing anything as a family. Like I got to, we got together with my sister Neha and her husband and kids, but it was, you know, a very small gathering. Whereas usually, you know, it's, it's like 30 people in a house and very festive and not being able to do that. You know, the whole thing with like restaurants and seeing friends, it, it's not ideal, but it's it's something that you you can deal with. And we're we're actually very lucky. We've got a finished rooftop upstairs, so we can uh, have people over and distance outside. And we we've been able to, we were able to do that over the summer. So it was just sort of being social in a different way. And for people that are familiar with Chicago, Chicago in the summer, it's it's just it's all festivals and music things and this block parties and so it it, it, there's a lot that we didn't get to do this summer but we were still able to be social with people just in a different way but what i've I've missed is being able to see my family whenever i want to and having to be a lot more considerate about oh well you know my my aunt is 70 years old and she's very healthy but i'm going to make sure that i am extra careful the week before i go see her that i'm not putting myself in a situation where I could inadvertently have an exposure that could cause a problem, you know? And and of course it's a crapshoot because interestingly enough, this happened once and I was being very careful and I actually got a COVID test before I went and saw her. I went and saw her and five days later, she texted me that she got COVID. (laughs) I know it was like the most random thing because she's in the suburbs and isolating and doesn't see anyone. I think she only recently had started even going back to the grocery store and she, you know, of all people was the one that got it. And she felt so bad because she thought she had given it to us and luckily that didn't happen. But you know, it, it, it's, it's obviously there's a lot of randomness involved as well. And do, do you have anything to add Matt or should we transition a little bit? Um, I mean, I think it mostly just, again, I think prove uh, yeah, we're very lucky from a, a standpoint of, how how much we we tolerate each other's company yeah well i mean i think like it it teaches us to learn like kind of well again very lucky like we have we first of all like have jobs that we you know we're like so there's no stress from that standpoint i think we have a big enough space where one we have outdoor space but i think we also had a big enough space where if we felt like we really needed to be far away from each other we could do that on top of like, we also like, we had each other. Like I, as much as you can say, like, 
relationships, you know, there are unique problems that relationship people will have to deal with going through COVID, but like dealing with this on your own, I think would probably be even harder. So like, you know, we had each other, we had each other's support. We knew again, like, you know, we could talk to each other about what we needed and what that might mean very easily. Right. You are so right about that. It's, 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 it, it might be easier for us who have or are in a loving and supportive relationship, right? If When you're single or maybe you're trying to date or you're elderly and you don't have your spouse anymore, that's, that seems to be like really tough. Well, now let's transition a little bit to money because after all, this is medicine, marriage, and money. Tell me a little bit about how you two handled the transition from residency to attending life because we all know that there was a steep increase in income there. Yeah. So, you know, this is one thing that has always been very interesting to me is like how you handle that. And and I've seen a lot of people that come through and they don't realize that those first couple of years, even your income is going to change so much, right? So you go from being a resident. I remember when I was at the DMC, I think my check that I got every month or twice a month was like $1,300 or something like that after tax. Something like, you know, quite not modest. And that's not everything. But like, (laughs) (laughs) it was Detroit, but no, I'm just kidding. But like, you know, that changes on a magnitude, obviously, right? And then even coming out to your first contract as an attending versus the one that you're going to probably get a couple of years after that, there's going to be a pretty big discrepancy or, you know, increase there, it, you know, in, in a lot of situations, I shouldn't say all, but, you know, so well, I'll, I'll see people that come out and they want to buy a house right away, or they, you know, they want to do this right away. And one of my things that I try to advise them is that, you know, let it, let it sink in, like let yourself get used to this new lifestyle that you are around because you're one going to realize you probably have a lot more options than you do at this very moment straight out of fellowship but also you need to learn how to be responsible with all of you know this income that you may have you know first of all as far as paying off loans as far as you know what what is important to you as far as savings like you know developing a plan so that you you are putting enough money away so that you don't have to work anymore at some point if you don't want to. Like all those things are considerations that we don't really come out of fellowship for the most part with a good sense. I mean, I think you and Victor, obviously, it sounds like knew exactly what you needed to do. But, you know, for a lot of us, it, it, it I think it really behooves you to be deliberate and slow with that process and grow into your income. And that's where Sanjay and I probably have somewhat temporizing or again, like different influences on one another. I think it's very easy. And, and I mean, I think for both of us, we come at it from slightly different perspectives, which we're able to meet pretty well in the middle somewhere. But I don't want to say I have more modest beginnings, but I, I did not have probably the, uh, grew up the same way that Sanjay did and have quite as many amenities or trips or so. I, it wasn't necessarily something that like I think about like, oh my God, I suddenly have so much money. I want to spend a lot more than I do. And like, I think Sanjay definitely had a, like I have so much money, I can maybe do a little bit more closer to how you know my family was. And I think again, I think it's very very easy to. Uh, and I don't think Sanjay would have necessarily would have been irresponsible about it. I'm just saying, like it's very very easy to look at your money and be like, well, now that I have this money, I need to like 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 yeah, as a resident, like you spend whatever eighty percent of your or whatever it is without saving. And like now you're like, well, I can still spend eighty percent of it, or I can spend even more of it because even as spending 95% of my money, that 5% that I'm saving is more than I was saving before. So I think it's just very easy to say like, well, I now have a higher income, so I should spend like a higher income person. And there is a balance. There is, you know, you don't, you want to have the things in your life that make you enjoy your life. You like Sanjay has said many times, like we love to travel. So it's, there's plenty of things that we both agree are worthwhile to spend money on. But I think it's something, again, about learning how to come into that without automatically seeing like, we're going to spend X amount of money just because we make so much more money. Right. Yeah. No, a lot of us don't think about it. Well, and also to me, when, when Sanjay said, you know, you guys love to travel, it sounded kind of like it was an, it's an investment in your relationship. It's an investment in your marriage. Not only 
sightseeing, it sounds like when you guys travel, you're really working on your relationship and growing closer together and learning more about each other. That's what I got from from earlier on in this podcast. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's actually a really interesting way of putting it. And I've never, I guess, thought about it like that. But yeah, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're spending your income on things that give you joy, I guess, right? And if that's one of them, then, you know, it, it is, and it, it's mutual. It's something that we're both, that makes us both happy. So yeah, for sure. And so is all of your money like in one account? Do you have separate accounts that neither of you see like, or is it okay? You guys are totally on board with each other's spending habits. Yeah. So I, I would, I would say both actually. So Matt and I, from the time we were in residency, we put all of our work a joint, yeah. into a joint account and that always worked well. Cause I, you know, it wasn't that much, but you know, it, we would, you know, pay our expenses out of that. And, you know, you, you, it was just easier, honestly, for us, it was just easier to manage it all of it being in one place. Right. And now as attendings, we've sort of transitioned to doing that and keeping that. And, and I think both of us have nominal accounts that we keep on our own, but you know, the amount of money that's in those is not a ton. It's just, again, it goes, it goes back to that thing about just communicating with each other about what is important and what it, you know, what you want to you know spend on and what you want to save on. And I think for me and Matt also, another thing that helps is that we, we've always been those people that, you know, your credit card bill has to be paid every month. And like, so having that mindset and mentality about savings, I think, and sharing that has been very helpful for us. So, you know, there, there haven't ever been real financial disagreements about those sorts of things. Yeah, I think, I mean, we're both come at it from, I think, again, it's just something that's lucky that we were both on the similar wavelength on or quickly learned to get on a similar wavelength on. But uh, we also, uh, compared to many physicians, like we didn't start out with hardly any in debt. So we didn't have to really focus on that at all. So I think our focus with our money, a lot of our extra income, at least like initially, and we both agreed, like maxing out your retirement funds was something that was very important to both of us. Like at least as far as like, before we start thinking about everything we can spend this on, let's like make sure enough is, you know, like that we're doing the most we can with our money, which is not to say that we think that that hard about it. We have some investment people that help us with it, but we make sure that it'd be contributing the most to all the, like the easy things at the very least. And then of course, like Sanjay said, making sure that there are no like outstanding debts that are incurring like unfair interest or, you know, again, like credit card payments and stuff. Right, right. And what do you guys consider the smartest financial decision you've ever made in your life? I mean, most of what we said, probably, like, I, like, I don't think we're like those people who like, I mean, I think sometimes we like most recently we've, we've regretted maybe not being as either entrepreneurial or as like attentive to the stocks. Like, like we almost, we sometimes fret about missed opportunities. So it's not like there's like one moment, like, oh, thank goodness we made this investment. Or, thank goodness we made this like thing that like suddenly exploded and we did really great on it yeah no I think that was a good investment in ourselves i think or at least yeah. i still think so i i think sanjay has learned to think so even though he didn't always sure um no i think that really the best financial decision that i've so for me it's a little bit more complicated i i saw a family member make more money than i think i'll ever see and lose most of it uh, as well you know just through being financially responsible for one reason or the other. So, you know, it, it, it sort of was a nice foil for me, but it, it really instilled in me a, a deep respect uh, for the importance of saving. And, you know, for us, you know, you, you might have a more aggressive investment strategy because of your age, but overall the mindset is that you are trying to compound and save so that you'll never have to worry about retirement, hopefully, or unforeseen circumstances that could come up. And so that that is really my sort of guiding principle is to try and have that saving sort of mentality toward. Ah, okay. So what, yeah, one of your smartest financial decisions came from kind of observing, right? Observing this family member and then growing personally from that. Well, this was this was amazing, guys, and I'm so happy you announced the arrival of. Do we even know? Is it is the name? Is there a name or not? <laughs> there's a name. We're not going to share it yet. <laughs> there's a name. 
Okay, we have to share it. Okay. Well, okay. We'll have to wait. Any anything else that we have not talked about when it comes to like medicine, marriage, money, anything you want to leave our guests with? Or did we cover everything? Either way. No, I think I think we got through most most of what I think we might have to offer. You know, I I, I would say again to everyone that's struggling through training right now, it really does get better. You know, just and if you're like a med student and you're you're thinking about what you want to do, you know, keep an eye on what you think your life's going to be like. You know, when you're 25, you can do anything. Like the world is your oyster. But when you also are a lot more energetic, you can deal with surgery call and this or that. Like we're very lucky. Like radiology is a great field, Um, right? But you know, but what might seem really easy when you're 25, by the time you're 35, you're just going to be like, oh my god, shoot me. Yeah, call me at a.m. in the morning for antiseptic reduction. No, thank you. But I still have to do it. <laughs> but you still have to do it, right? Yeah. So, but it's like you know. So, just really, really think about that. It would be like the last thing. If there's any med students or you know early residents listening, it's like you're really think about what you want to be doing ten years from now. And yeah. <laughs> thirty-five. You're the thirty-five. For thirty-five, because that's like the new. 25. It looks like there's 45 year olds, 55 year olds, 65 year olds. Yeah, but I mean, think about it. Like, when you're 45, do you want to be like just finishing training or do you want to be like starting to think about retirement, maybe if that's what you want, you know, or at least having that option, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, you know, that that's that's pretty no brainer for me personally. But I don't know. No, but you guys already started thinking about retirement at 25. And so, same thing. Yeah, no, we, we, we've been thinking about it. I mean, <laughs> we've, been, we've been preparing for it. You know, <laughs> oh my gosh, well, this was so perfect. I loved it so much. And thank you so much for coming on my show. I'm so excited. Thank you. Yeah, this was awesome. We were so excited when you brought it up. And thank you for making the time for us. That's awesome. Yes. I, oh my gosh. Wouldn't have it any other way. Okay. Goodbye, guys. Bye, Kate. Bye, Kate. Thank you, guys. Thanks again. Such a great show with doctors Matt and Sanjay. Before we end, don't forget to reach out to MR Insurance Consultants, where their goal is to assist physicians in obtaining the most comprehensive coverage available to fit their unique situation. Reach out for both excellent and quality service at drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash MR Insurance. so much fun. Oh my gosh. I love Matt and Sanjay. They are my dear, dear, dear friends. Um, Did I mention that I danced at their wedding? I probably did. Okay. Well, let's get into their take-home points. The take-home points from Matt and... Oh, and when I say danced at their wedding, like I actually did like a choreographed group dance, not just danced on the dance floor when I was 20 weeks pregnant with my first daughter. (laughs) Okay. So let's get into the take-home points from doctors Matt and Sanjay. Number one, we can always improve how we fight with our spouse. Seems kind of strange, right? No, but yeah, fighting, how can we improve that? Well, what we say and what our spouse hears may be significantly different. So let us slow down, slow the argument down, figure out what our partner is hearing rather than continuing to push our side of the argument. This can be hard, right? Because what we think we're saying, they might not be hearing. So slow down. Let's ask our partner, what are you hearing? Sanjay also says to keep judgment to ourselves and listen again to what the partner is hearing when you are arguing. Keep an open mind. He says this is the first, second, and third most important thing about a successful marriage. Keep an open mind and approach to how you come to this discussion about fighting, about arguments, and ask yourself, we should all be asking ourselves, or not should, we we want to all be asking ourselves, how can I show up as the best version of myself in this situation for me? Number two, if you were a trainee, I don't know if there's many trainees out there listening, but if you are or have any trainees that are currently working with you or under you listening, know and let them know 
that it really does get better. We forget about this when become attendings, how much harder things were when we were in training. And for those trainees out there, all those feelings that you have of inadequacy or questions you may be asking yourself, like, do I belong? Why am I doing this? Is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life? Those are all normal. Maybe you're an early attending and you're still asking yourself those questions. Those are normal. A lot of trainees in early career career attendings have these thoughts, yet may not be expressing them out loud. So I would like to add, if you feel this way now, that's okay. Reach out to someone who you can talk to about it, confide in. If it's really eating you up, if if it's consuming more mental energy than you would like, talk to a mentor or close friend. We are not alone, my friends. And number three, Sanjay gave us a beautiful example of how we can all learn to be more responsible with money. Observe. He said observing. Observing was his greatest financial decision he ever made in life. What did he mean by that? Learning from those around us. So he watched a close family member make more money than he could ever imagine and then lose most of it. And Sanjay walked away from that with foresight and determination to start planning for his retirement immediately after training him and Matt, if not during it. He could have chosen to perpetuate this cycle, done what those before him did, but he decided to take control of his finances and prepare his family for their legacy. So what can we learn from those around us? Do we want to follow in their footsteps or create create something better? I guess it depends on who's coming before us. Observe, learn. Thank you, Sanjay and Matt. And before we walk away asking ourselves the following questions, I just want to hype you up one last time because today is the first day of the five-day challenge of how to unconditionally love, the five-day unconditional love challenge. And you have the opportunity to win a free scholarship into the Medicine, Marriage, and Money group coaching program by tuning in either to my Medicine, Marriage, and Money Facebook group or I'll announce it on my Instagram, Medicine, Marriage, and Money as well. So this will be happening today for the next five days and the program will be launching in two short weeks. And if you don't think you need this scholarship, you can actually give it away to one of your friends. So please come play and learn and grow, grow with us. And I hope you guys walk away asking yourself, how have I grown with my partner over the years? How has my love for my partner evolved? over time. How has being with my partner during the isolation the pandemic brought over the past year been better than if I were to have been doing it alone? And lastly, am I spending my income on things that bring me joy? That must sound familiar. (laughs) We ask it a lot here on Medicine, Marriage, and Money. So thank you so much. Please go fly away, spread your wings, spread joy and love and and unconditional love, especially this week, to all of your friends and family and everybody who comes in and out of your life. So much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.